And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday. On the Athletic Podcast Network. What up, Beck? And welcome to another edition of the Hoops Adjacent Edition, I should say, of the Athletic MBA Show. I'm David Aldridge. Was on vacation this week. God damn! Well earned. And uh, some housekeeping. No show next week. Oh my God! Because I will be in no mood mentally and in no condition emotionally to do a show on election day. So just get that out of your minds. We'll be back in two weeks after this one. So enjoy yourselves. Hopefully it turns out the way we all want it to turn out. So I wanted to reach out to one of my good friends in the business and one of the great writers uh, of this age who's covered so many winning teams and covered the league so well for any number of publications, most recently Bleacher Report, my buddy Howard Beck. And I have to say it this way because you need to get this trademark. What up, Beck? (laughs) What up, DA? Thank you for that very kind intro. And I believe every time somebody introduces me with what up, Beck, they owe Zach Lowe a nickel. And by the the time our careers are all over, Zach is going to have a lot of nickels. Oh, well, I hope you got it trademarked. Why is Lowe getting the money for your for your name? I mean, in fairness, he started this because when, back when he was at Grantland and the first time I went on his podcast, he told this story involving Kobe Bryant, which is where the What Up Bet comes from. <laughs> and ever since then, Zach has introduced me that way. So it really, like Kobe created it, mm. but Zach made it uh, a thing, of course, in NBA niche podcasting, as, as he <laughs> likes to call it. See, I, I don't have anything like that in my career. I don't have anything like that. Like the great Phil Jasner had asked your question, Philip, from uh, from uh, from Iverson. Yes. <laughs> you know, I don't have anything like that. Shaq had, or Lacey Banks, the late Lacey Banks had all the Shaq interactions with him over the years. Didn't Lacey also get the, I like you, Lacey, from, from MJ? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. So- um, man, what a crazy season. Um, what do you think of a, how they got through the bubble and B what's up with this starting up again in like five minutes? <laughs> you know, like, I thought we were going to get a little time off, man. I, I'm so dizzy about timing and dates and everything else. Like the fact that the finals just ended, but it's October and it's almost Halloween. And when like, I can't keep my head straight anyway, where it regards the calendar and the NBA. So might as well just start right up again. Like, yeah, right, right, right. I'll tell you this, DA, it will feel more normal, even with the quick restart, it will feel more normal to see the NBA playing on December 22nd and certainly on Christmas than anything we've just experienced in the last few months. Like it might feel rushed and it might feel weird to start up again so soon, but at least it will feel like the right thing at the right time of year with the right weather outside. And yeah. it, it, it lines up. Um, I'll just say this This will echo probably everything everyone has said to date since they concluded the bubble. I mean, impressive as hell that they pulled it off. I think we all had a healthy 
skepticism slash concern, somewhere in that range, not necessarily skepticism like I don't think they can do it, but just concern about whether this could could be done safely. Um, They obviously came through with flying colors when it came to the virus. They did an incredible job, obviously, in integrating social justice causes and making sure that those uh, those issues were not forgotten. Um, they handled the the wildcat strike really well as a league and navigated that, I think, very constructively and, and yeah. beautifully. Um, there's not like, and the quality of play was high. Like, it will never feel it will never feel normal to have seen games with no fans and with weird virtual fans with varying head sizes. Um, but the visuals of that, not, notwithstanding. The game itself, the the product itself was at the highest level. It still felt like NBA playoffs. It still felt like a real finals. And I, you know, years from now we will see highlights, and it will always be jarring because the backdrop is and the the sound is just different. But it was a legit season and a legit finals and a legit championship, and they did it brilliantly. But I have said all along to segue to our next issue. I've said all along. I, as I don't mean to be dismissive or, 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 or playing this down, but like the bubble was the easy part yeah. like, <laughs> right. because, because it was the safest thing you could do doing next season, getting, figuring that out with probably no bubble was always going to be the harder thing as long as the virus was still raging. And it is. Yeah, it is going to be, you know, I, I won't, I won't pretend like I didn't have my doubts cause I did um, about the season getting done. Not so much, um, that the league wouldn't take it seriously. I just frankly didn't know that the players could be as disciplined as they were. I mean, with very few exceptions, they stuck to the message and they stuck to taking it seriously and not doing the things I thought players would do to try to get around the rules. They stuck to the rules for the most part. Um, and, uh, they got it done and, and full credit to them for, for doing that. Um, and and it's not that I am skeptical about starting so soon because let's be let's be honest there's there's eight teams that haven't played in eight months they'd like to start playing now if they could right so you can't ignore those eight teams that weren't in the bubble and then there were another you know six teams that weren't there very long um, that that could use to play use some playing time again but I do wonder if we're going to see LeBron opening day I mean this is. This is a very quick turnaround. If you're going to start December 22nd, that means you're going to start camps December 1st, you know, and that's six weeks, five weeks away, <laughs> you know, like, and they just finished the finals. I mean, I'll be very surprised if, if you see a sorted, if you see full Lakers teams and full Miami teams and, and to a lesser degree, you know, full Boston teams or and full Denver teams uh, on opening night. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at this and I did, there's a phenomenal website that I discovered years ago called Days Between Dates. Do you know this website? Right. Oh, sure, sure. Do it yeah, all the yeah. time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like a journalist's greatest tool um, because we can't count. We, I mean, that's way too much to ask. <laughs> so I, I was playing around with Days Between Dates. Okay. So if you went from the end of the finals in 2019 on June 13th to opening night, that was 131 days or 132 if you count October 22nd, the day that that was actually opening night. So 131 days roughly. Um, Miami and LA will have gotten 72 days. So that is a steep, steep decline in, in off days. But Boston and Denver will have gotten 86 to 87 days. Yeah. Um, 
still far short of 131. But the teams in the round before that, Toronto, Milwaukee, the Clippers, the Rockets, they'll get between 98 and 105 days. The guy, the teams that were out in the first round will have gotten between 111 to 121 days. And the teams that went to the bubble but didn't make the playoffs 129 days, which is nearly the full offseason from finals to restart or, or to opening night, which, by the way, is not even the 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 measure for all teams because a lot most most teams are not in the finals even in a normal year right so it's what i'm saying is that 129 days for the teams that were in the bubble but not in the playoffs is the equivalent of going to the finals and having that kind of offseason and then we had uh the teams that didn't go at all the the delete eight so that's 14 teams that had about the right amount of of offseason at minimum um so it's really a, a handful and it's not to dismiss their concerns, but if the union and the players are going to decide this on based on on the greater good, not just the health of the league and getting back on schedule so that you can start at a normal time next year, Man. but also what benefits the most players, I you know it, it's it's pretty much like twenty plus twenty five teams that can say yeah we're we're okay and it's it, that's rough for the two teams that made the finals I understand but for most of the league they had a sufficient off season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's true. But, it, but you know, the team that did win it, they're a pretty big team, pretty important team in the league. <laughs> and if you start opening night with, say, you know, a Kyle Kuzma, you know, Dwight Howard, uh, KCP front court with no LeBron and no AD who are not even in street clothes, they're not even in the arena, that's going to be an interesting sell. <laughs> yeah. <gonna> be- <laughs> I will be curious to see. I will be curious to see how they handle it. Way of knowing <laughs> which direction we are going. There's no knowing where we're rowing or which way the river's flowing. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is adjacent on the Athletic Podcast Network. Turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and like the most in his bracket, I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. David, David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing him. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he yeah. got their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. Lambert. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship money that we can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Hoops and Jason. Welcome to Hoops Five, four, we have ignition. Howard, I want to ask you also before we bring in, we're going to bring in Alex Lazary in a few minutes who's the um, VP of the Milwaukee Bucks. And, and certainly Milwaukee, for a lot of different reasons, was one of the marquee teams in the NBA this year. And Alex was, was a part of all of it um, on and off the court. But, man, you did the most amazing essays for NBA.com during the season when Kobe passed. You did a very, very moving uh, essay about him, um, and then during the during the bubble time, you did this this really really touching and and active allyship essay, and you basically were like, "I'm a white guy talking to white people about Black Lives Matter." Have you been paying attention this postseason? I mean, really paying attention. We've not seen this ever in the history of the NBA. The sights. Sounds. My legacy is going to be based on how much I give back to my people. We found something we're fighting for. The strangeness. Our focus today cannot be on basketball. And 
the slogans. Maybe you stopped reading them. Take another look. And that's not Most something that you see normally. And I just wonder how that came about and, um, you know, why you felt you wanted to do that. Yeah, no, thanks, DA. Um, so our friends at Turner had reached out um, earlier in the summer when they launched that new show, The Arena, which was yeah. a show designed to be the show of the restart, right? Like we have inside the NBA and what they wanted to do was have a show that was another studio show that was different, that was going to focus on not just the basketball part of the restart, but the social justice issues, COVID, everything. It was supposed. It was a broader, uh, different kind of tone for a show. So in doing that, they reached out to Bleacher Report at that time and said, look, does anybody from BR Mag want to participate in this? It's an open invitation. We're doing these video essays, two to three minutes. We're going to have some outside people. Jamel Hill did one. Um, we'll have, you know, obviously some Turner voices, but it, it was an invitation to BR Mag, to, to the writers. And so... I thought about it. And the first thing that hit me, DA, was what I said in the essay, which was I, 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 I keyed in on the Jersey messages that said, listen, hear, respect. It's not just about those were different. That wasn't just saying Black Lives Matter or, you know, vote or, you know, what, you know, the various other messages were much more kind of specific to certain kinds of issues. Right. Yeah. But the ones that said, listen to us, who are you asking to listen? Well, it's not other, it's not other black people, <laughs> like, yeah, like, <laughs> but, but, you know, but black players are not asking other, other, uh, members of the, of the, the, the uh, black community to listen to what they're saying about these concerns about right. police brutality and everything related to it. That's directed at me. That's yeah, directed right. at the rest of America, at, at primarily white people. And so I, I kept thinking like, if there's an opportunity to do something thoughtful here, they, they threw it wide open. And, but I just thought there was something interesting to think about there. And you know, you and I know each other well, and we've had these conversations, you know, you know, how I feel about these issues, but I thought this is an opportunity to, to do, to follow in the footsteps of frankly, some people who really, I think pointed the direction for me on this or were a guidepost, which is Kyle Korver, the things he has said, the things he has written right. in the Players' Tribune, speaking up specifically as a white person playing in a primarily black league and what that means for how he understands these issues, what Pop has done, what Steve Kerr has done. And I just felt like those guys showed the way. This is how we who uh, who work in and around this league, um, I mean, forget just the NBA, like just <laughs> who are citizens of this country and who need to care about our fellow citizens, period. Like I, I took a lot from what those guys said and did. And I thought that's that's the right way. That's that's yeah. that's the way to do this. If I have an opportunity to do as they did, to speak as they have spoken, and to try to amplify these causes, because maybe maybe white people who are tuned out will listen more to to it coming from another white person. I don't know. I I, I don't think yeah. that should be the case, but I do think, as I said in the essay, it is our moral obligation to to listen, to speak up, and to the extent that we can bring others in into you know the cause or to to at least listen to what's going on and, and be more aware more engaged i felt like that was a great opportunity for me to do so well man i appreciate you you know 
using the platform um, because, you know, those, those are conversations. You're exactly right. I mean, change will come when white people talk to other white people. I've said that on this show uh, numerous times. There's nothing that I can say that anybody else can say in the black community that's going to change white people's minds, but until white people talk to other white people and, and have those hard conversations. It's not just about George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Jacob Blake. It's not just about police brutality. It's about the systemic racism that permeates our society, the insidious ways it manifests in everyday life. But we don't see it, you and I. It doesn't directly impact us. We've been willfully blind. Let's bring in our, our, our guest uh, for this week. Uh, I'm happy to bring him in because I think he is really part of this bigger discussion that we like to have here on uh, the Athletic NBA show and on Hoops Adjacent about not just not just the game, which we all love, but uh, the the issues that the game creates and, and that we must respond to. Uh, so I want to bring in um, – now somebody asked me to ask him if he's going to run for senator. I'm not going to ask him that first, but we'll see. <laughs> Alex Lazary, the vice president of the Milwaukee Bucks. Alex, thank you for joining me and joining Howard today, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course, man. And and Beck, just jump in anytime, man. As you know, Beck hosted the the full forty eight as one of the great podcasts about hoops in recent years. So he's he's very very skilled at this. So jump in anytime with questions. I will, but it, it is your pod, so I'm 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 gonna you know I'm gonna let you take the lead here, D. I don't want to <laughs> step on your toes, man. There's there's something I've always wanted to say on a podcast, um, if I may. Go ahead. What up, Beck? There you go. <laughs> what, what, Universal. What up, Alex? <laughs> there it is. Another nickel for Zach Lowe. Man, <laughs> I, you've got to get that trademark, man. This is really annoying me that you're not getting paid for this. This is, this is your name. It's your labor. Um, Zach and I will work out the, the, the legal details of this at some point. Please give us an update whenever you can. Uh, Alex, man, thank you for joining us. Um, and I really wanted to have you on because uh, as everybody on in the United States certainly knows by now, uh, Wisconsin just happens to be a really important state in the presidential election uh, mm-hmm. next week. And I, and I wanted to talk to you about the Bucks' continuing role well before this summer, before everything that happened, unfortunately, with Jacob Blake and Kenosha, um, before the death of George Floyd. The Bucks have been front and center in these discussions, these social justice discussions. And obviously, I think most people who listen to this show know that what happened with Sterling Brown last year with the police department there. There's still legal proceedings going on between him and the city of Milwaukee. Um, but I wanted to ask you what it feels like on the ground right now, one week out from the election. It's intense, and not just because there's election going on, but also because um, you know, the, just today we announced another five thousand cases of coronavirus and right, you know over right. fifty deaths, um, you know, shattering records that we had before. And so, you know, I, I think you know, with all that's happened, especially in Wisconsin, there's there's a lot of angst, and I think also though a lot of enthusiasm for you know and and intensity to to get out and vote and and make your voice heard because I think. I think there are a lot of people who are feeling like their voices aren't being heard. And there are a lot of people, I think, especially in Wisconsin, who are feeling like, you know, when are we going to be able to catch a break? You know, I mean, we're having, you know, all of the, you know, we, we have the um, the Jacob Blake shooting and now we have coronavirus, which, you know, enough people in the state are not taking seriously enough. 
um, and you know it's having devastating impact. And so um, I think I think what you're seeing is you know people and and from what I'm seeing, you know this is the this was the first time uh, that I you know, waited online to vote early in a Wisconsin election. Um, and I think that just shows, you know, the, the intensity and the enthusiasm that people are having to get out to vote. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the message that, um, that we're putting out to, you know, to help people, you know, know where to go to vote, to, you know, to push, um, people to get out to vote, uh, is having an effect. Alex, what is the best role or how do you see the role of the Bucks? Um, at a time like this and, and how does it maybe differ from prior elections? Because I know, I know you guys are a politically minded group, um, at least part of, at least part of team ownership, maybe all of it, but this election is of course, like none that any of us in our lifetimes have seen either. So is it different this time in the way you see kind of your civic duties as a franchise, um, than maybe in the past? You know, I think for for the Bucks, we've always been very civic minded. You know, and and if you look at the history of Bucks ownership, you know, we were you know the, before my dad and Wes and Jamie bought the team, uh, the team was owned by United States Senator Herb Cole, um, who yeah. you know has you know was is one of the great philanthropists um, in Wisconsin and um, a, a progressive champion in the Senate, and so. Um, I think what we try to do is, you know, follow in that legacy um, of Senator Cole. And that's not about, you know, partisan politics so much as it's making sure that, um, you know, that that we're a good corporate citizen um, and that we're doing our part to make sure that um, it's setting an example for um, Milwaukee and Wisconsin. And I think using our platform um, for good. And, you know, if that means, um, you know, using our platform for racial and social justice, if that means using our platform to, um, increase voter turnout. Um, and again, it's not, it's not for, you know, the bucks itself is a nonpartisan, um, team, uh, and a nonpartisan organization. And so when we push, want to get people out to vote, um, you know, but the bucks vote that, you know, we put together is not just about Milwaukee, it's about the entire state. Right. Um, and we want everyone to make sure and that they know, like, get out, have your voice be heard. Um, and uh, I, I think that's the message, you know, when and when George and I canvassed uh, over the weekend, um, George and I never once asked someone, who are you voting for or get out for this candidate or anything like that? Um, what we just said to people was, hey, did you go vote? If not, here is how you go vote. Make sure you're registered. Um, because, you know, again, I think uh, the, the most important thing you can do, um, and the best way to, uh, participate in, in, in society and our democracy is, is to vote and make sure that your voice is heard and that the candidates that you're voting for, um, believe in what you believe. Alex, you mentioned you talked, you, you went out with George Hill over the weekend, uh, to, to canvas and, and George was at the center of a lot of things that went on in the bubble. Obviously the, 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 the decision that the team made not to play in the wake of the Jacob Blake shooting really was a catalyst for an entire industry shutting down. We have major breaking news in the NBA where the Milwaukee Bucks have reportedly decided to boycott game five against the Orlando Magic in protest of the police shooting of Jacob Blake. You guys it's shut an entire industry down. Um, the, the whole sports Blake industry stopped for 48 hours. 
because of the decisions you guys made. And I just wonder if you, if you've ever had a chance to kind of reflect on the the incredible power that that showed in terms of what players and teams in it, working in unison and in concert with one another can really have on bringing attention to to issues outside of sports and outside of basketball in particular. Yeah, you know, I mean, when when we think about you know what what happened in the bubble and what we were able to accomplish. Um, you know, obviously the season on the court didn't end the way that we wanted it to, but, um, I, I've never been more proud of a team, um, and what they were able to accomplish in, in kind of pushing society forward. Um, and I think, you know, quite honestly, when you, you know, when people remember the 2020 bubble in the season, um, you will be hard pressed to, you know, remember it, you know, the first thing that you might think of is, the fact that the you know the Bucks stood up for racial justice and um, and as you said shut an industry down for forty eight yeah. hours and that that's incredibly powerful and I think what what I was so proud of um, for what they did was they didn't just say hey we're not going to play and and go back and you know back to their hotel room you know and play cards or or whatever what they did was they stayed in the locker room. You know, they called state leaders. Um, they, you know, they they called other people and said, you know, what is going on here? Um, why, you know, there have been protests in the streets. There have been marches. You know, why, why is this keep happening? Why isn't there any change? And then they came out and actually put out a statement that said, you know, hey, the Republican legislature in Wisconsin hasn't met, you know, in at the time it had been four months and now it's been over six months. You know, like we're calling on them to at least go back to work. Um, and shined a light, I think, on what's going on in the state, and I think what's going on around the country. And um, you know, to me, that was you know, obviously like I, you know, I want nothing more than to win a championship. But to me, what what they did um, uh, will reverberate, uh, you know, I think throughout uh, the country for you know for for years and decades, and hopefully um, will be uh, kind of like a starting point um, for. Uh, you know, when we kind of saw a turn um, in, in, in change being able to happen. Alex, I think we'd probably all agree on everything you just said in terms of the impact, the, the, the significance, um, how meaningful that moment was. And I, I agree, we're going to remember that for a long time. And, let's, and, and I, I truly hope, I think, as we all do, that it is the start of something and that um, none of us lose sight of this and, and that, that, that players will carry forth that same um, that same, you know, energy into, into future seasons at this. I, and I don't, I don't think this is a one-time thing. Like, I think this is, this is the new reality for the NBA and, and for athletes in general. Um, but all that said, at the moment that it happened, it was kind of jarring because we, you know, we didn't, we didn't really see this coming. It's not like there was, uh, they weren't holding meetings and there weren't leaks about the play. Like, I mean, there was some, there was some murmurings, but it was, but it, when it happened, it was very sudden and like, they didn't even share it with the magic that night. Like it just, it, it spread throughout the rest of the bubble and all the teams hopped on board, but your team is the one that really got it started um, in its own locker room, literally with minutes to go. What can you recall about or take us through from your perspective, how it unfolded that night? Um, what your initial reaction was and, and what, you know, what role, if any, you and, and your father and, and ownership played in kind of navigating the, you know, just the events of the night. Yeah. I mean, I remember I, um, and the reason nothing had leaked is because it was spontaneous. 
Um, and if you haven't listened to, you know, Kyle Corver speak on this, he yeah, just did, I think, yeah. a talk at Creighton. Yeah, um, I would highly recommend everyone listen to, you know, at least that clip. And I'm trying to understand Black Lives Matter for the first time. And I've got a lot of white friends who are like, all lives matter and blue lives matter. And I, this, this isn't right. This isn't helping. And I'm like, yeah, I don't understand it either. But then I, I'm also in relationship with a lot of black friends and teammates who see this completely differently, right? And it was in that moment where I'm like, I don't get it. You know, I think Corver explained it best. Like, it, you know, they were all in the locker room and, and Darwin came in and, you know, and Darwin's got, you know, you know, two young, you know, young kids who are living in Milwaukee. You know, I think they're, you know, in their teens. Um, and I think one's, you know, in college. Um, and just the raw emotion of, you know, not being able to be there and being scared of, you know, what happens if your kid walks down the street um, and, you know, runs into the wrong person uh, and there's nothing you can do. Um, and I think the raw emotion that everyone on the team felt and the, and the fear because of it, you know, especially it happening in our backyard and, um, and George, I think kind of was just like, look, like I, I, I can't do it. Um, and then, you know, Sterling being like, yep, me neither. And then kind of the whole team. And that just shows how close I think our team is, um, where everyone said, you know what, we're going to stand together and, and be together on this. And, um, and again, and we're going to use this as a moment to actually, um, try to do something good and not just, you know, say like, Hey, we're not playing and, and leave, but we're going to stay in here and, um, and, and make a point um, and try to have some real impact. Uh, I mean, right before it, you know, I, I, I you know, I was ta- I actually was talking with John Horst um, probably 20 minutes before the game. Um, and, you know, then I turned the TV on and I think right as I turned the TV on, I got a text from, uh, I don't know, it was probably Woj or someone who was like, hey, or maybe it was Bontemps who was like, hey, uh, are you guys coming on the court? It was me. It was you? I think I had 10 people literally who texted me like, hey, are you guys coming on the court? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I literally had just hung up with like John like 10 minutes before and I didn't have the game on yet. Um, and so I turned the game on and I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on. Like, if, I, if John had known about this, he would have told me. And I think literally right when I hung up with John, he was arriving at the court and then kind of saw, like, realized everything that was going on. And for us, you know, we've always, you know, as an ownership, you know, between me and my dad, we've always, um, and Wes and Jamie, uh, have always just been, you know, a firm believer in like, Hey, um, we, we back our guys and, you know, especially in a, in a, in a moment like this, um, with what they were calling for. And I think all of us just feeling kind of hopeless, um, and helpless, you know, Alex, you, you've made, made it quite clear that the team is not, you know, partisan in the sense that it doesn't advocate for one party or another, or one person or another to, to win an election, but you live in a very partisan state. I think it's fair to say, right? I mean, you, mm-hmm. it's yeah. a, you know, and, and I wonder how you navigate that, that space, because, you know, I remember when you, when you all were, were, were trying to get Pfizer form built and, you know, you were, the point you were making was this, this arena is going to be for everybody in the state of Milwaukee. It's not going to just be for Democrats or Republicans. It's going to be for everybody. Right. So, and, and that was part of the, I think of what got, what got everybody, you know, kind of bipartisan support for it 
was that everybody understood it was good for the state of Milwaukee. It was good for the city. It was obviously good for your franchise, for your team. But what is it like? And, and, and you know, Wisconsin is hyper partisan. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, Delaware, which, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I mean, or Montana, where, you know, everybody kind of, everybody kind of feels the same way in the state, right? There's not much opposition. Yeah. You've got hyper partisan divide in the state of Wisconsin. I mean, it's a 51 49 state pretty much. So how do you, how do you navigate there? Well, look, you know, I think sports, you know, and, and, you know, Beck, I think you said like, you know, maybe this is a new normal for sports, but sports has always been used as either a way to unite, but also to move society forward. Um, If you look at a lot of the great, you know, civil rights activists and icons, um, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jackie Robinson, et cetera, um, they're all athletes. Um, and you know, when you, you know, the Olympics is, you know, as much as it is to, uh, be used as a, you know, as a great time for all countries to come together, it's also had a history of, you know, being used as a political tool, um, to, you know, whether it's boycotts or, or you name it. Um, so I think sports has always played that dual role. Uh, I think what, what we try to do with the bucks is, you know, we're, we're not advocating for parties. We, we sometimes might just advocate for issues. And, you know, like for us, we don't look at voting or racial justice um, as Democrat or Republican Um, from, you know, from the Bucks point of view. What we do is what we want to say is like, hey, look, we're fighting for racial justice. Yeah. We want to work with organizations and and advocate for, you know, for for policies uh, that is going to um, going to fulfill that goal. Um, We want to you know, work with organizations and, and groups and advocate for policies that is going to make it easier and more accessible for people to vote. Um, because that is something that, you know, that we believe in. Um, we want to work with organizations that also um, make it easier and more accessible for people to vote, not just for presidential elections, but we want to educate people on down-ballot races as well. We right. talk about how important sheriff's races, county executive races, mayor's races, et cetera, are. Um, so I think for us, you know, it's trying not to be, you know, Hey, pro Democrat, pro Republican. It's trying to be, you know, Hey, how can we push these issues forward? Um, you know, I mean, you know, like, I think everyone knows my politics. I'm sure everyone knows my dad's politics. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, you know, we do that kind of on our own time, which a ton of business leaders, uh, do. I mean, if you look around the NBA, there's no shortage of people who are, you know, who on their own time support, you know, Republicans or Democrats. But the Bucks as an organization um, is trying to move those issues forward. And if there are Republicans who want to work with us on that and Democrats want to work on, with us on that, great. We're here to work with you. Um, but, you know, racial justice and, and voting rights and voting access to us are, you know, should be nonpartisan. Um, I don't know if it's always been, it doesn't always seem like it is that way, but, uh, <laughs> right. you know, we, that, th- those are the issues that we're trying to promote as an organization. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm glad you ended on that note, Alex, because uh, (laughs) my first thought was, well, yeah, voting rights and racial justice shouldn't be partisan. It should be. (laughs) But it shouldn't be be partisan. And yet... And yet, um, for mm-hmm. some reason, they seem to be. Um, so, so let's let's move move over there for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, they shouldn't be, but they are, and and we know which party is is in favor of and seemingly pushing against some of these issues that we on this uh, podcast are all we're, we all agree on what the priority should be. Um, it is not universally agreed to. The NBA, as a league, as a business, as an institution. Embraced Black Lives Matter, put those words on the court in the bubble, um, supported the players in every which way as they looked to to amplify these issues during the restart. Um, it has, it, it, as with everything, it became, and I hate to, to bring in a, a, a mixed sport metaphors, but it became a political football. I don't know if there is there any such thing as a political basketball. Can we, <laughs> no, 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 no. no? Um, political puck. Political puck. <laughs> um, political puck would be good because like yes. you could really smack around a puck exactly. and it's dangerous when exactly. it's flying, right? So like yes. that that's actually better than a political football. Um, but it became this 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 uh, you know it was exploited for for various reasons, especially with regard to the ratings. I don't buy any of that. But what I am curious about is to the extent that you knew as a league, as a franchise, uh, you know, and as the NBA, you knew that there would be some people who might be put off by those efforts and those messages. There is some risk in that. Um, How did you guys view that? And on the subject of the ratings, does the NBA have data to show Anything, because when I I always look at these issues and I say, listen, we can all speculate on why ratings are down and people can ascribe all the things that they want to ascribe it to. But none of us have the data to back that up. There's no poll. There's no Gallup poll. There's no any like we don't know. We're we're just guessing. Do you guys have better a better sense of it and and especially a data driven sense of it of of how those efforts by the league on the issues of, of racial justice and social justice may or may not have impacted the popularity of the league. Look, there are people who would just, who just want to turn on a basketball game and watch basketball. And there is nothing wrong with that sentiment um, or that thought. And I think generally like, um, you know, you know, that's kind of the way sports has tried to be at least once the game has started um, and tried to, you know, like there are exceptions always. And I think Adam, um, and the players association have done a great job at, at navigating those exceptions. And I think where we were at this time, um, and in this moment, um, uh, it, 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 it was too important of an opportunity to miss, um, I think in the bubble, uh, to, to be able to put, you know, black lives matter on the court. And, and when you think about what that actually did and, when you think about how how powerful that was, um, you know, that might not be something that we realize how powerful it was until, you know, for, you know, maybe 10 years, um, mm-hmm. because you're going to have younger people 
um, who are just seeing that on the court, on a basketball court um, with, you know, players and coaches and, you know, you're, you're just kind of watching it. And, and then that becomes more normalized. And, you know, it, it feels crazy to say that Black Lives Matter needs to be normalized. But, hmm. um, you know, two, three years ago, probably even eight, nine months ago, it was a really controversial statement um, right. to, to right. say that. And, and now it's, you know, kind of just part of the lexicon. Um, and, you know, no, you don't, you don't hear politicians scared to say it. Like, it's just something that's said and not to say that, you know, the NBA is the reason for that. But I do think putting, you know, putting that on the court, putting it on, um, the warmups, um, has a, has a profound effect on how people view, you know, the, the term black lives matter. And again, the NBA reaches a much different, you know, kind of group of people than, you know, people who are constantly watching CNN hmm. and MSNBC and Fox News all the time. Um, you know, these are, you know, people who are probably watching the vast majority of people watching the NBA are probably not, you know, the the most active political, you know, voters who are always tuned in to everything that's going on. Um, and I think that has a big effect um, in just kind of being able to say like, yes, we endorse Black Lives Matter. Um, and I think that that allows then a lot of, you know, it, 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 for young people, especially who, you know, maybe, you know, either growing up in a town or an area where maybe that's not said as much or, um, you know, or what have you. And, you know, I think that has a, a big effect and, um, I think will down the road. Um, and that doesn't take away, I think, from the fact that, look, most people, when they probably turn on sports are you know, kind of just looking to watch sports. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the way I look at it is I, you know, you can put Black Lives Matter on the court and like, you know, I can still watch basketball. Exactly. And, and enjoy the game. <laughs> Nothing's stopping um, you from watching I, the game. You, you know, still like, can watch I, the game with Black Lives exactly. Matter on the court. <laughs> you, can still lo- you can still love the game and you can just still watch it. The, the game of basketball didn't change. You know, yeah. I can, I can watch a movie with, you know, maybe someone whose political views I disagree with and, and separate that. And so, um, you know, I, I think sometimes like people go a little bit overboard and like, Oh, if you're putting that on the court, I can't watch basketball. It's like, no, you still can. Yeah. Like basketball's still going on. Like I can, you know, I, I can easily watch a movie or listen to music. You know, if the art is good, yeah. um, of maybe someone I, you know, might disagree with. Yeah. You know, the people that say, the people that go on Twitter and say, I, I'm not, I, I'll, I'll never watch the NBA again. Eh, you weren't watching the NBA all that much in the, to begin with. <laughs> Let's be honest. I, I, I also on. think we, we sometimes let the, you know, the, uh, the, the Twitter ecosystem kind of speak for the majority of people when it's not really speaking for the majority. That's of people. right. That's right. That's um, I, you know, I think, uh, I think a vast majority of people, um, who watch the NBA um, and who love the NBA watch and love the NBA. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people who watched it appreciated the stance um, that that was taken and understood kind of the, the significance and the, um, and the moment that we were in. Um, and, you know, I, you know, what, you know, the ratings and everything, like see what you say, what you want, but like, I don't think the NBA has ever been more popular yeah. and I don't think basketball has ever been more popular. Um, and it's not like the NFL isn't following in the NBA's footsteps right now. It's not, you know, the NFL apologized for how they, um, how they acted over the last few years. So like, it's not just the NBA. Um, and I think, you know, we need to maybe take stock into, you know, 
why are people saying, you know, just blame, you know, just talking about the NBA um, and maybe not, you know, MLB and, and NFL in the same way. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, I, I wrote I wrote this last a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, then you you will have to explain to me how the horses are all a bunch of woke liberals because the ratings <laughs> for the triple crown are through the floor, <laughs> just like every other sport. Um, so there's a million reasons why I don't know which I don't know what order they go in. That's all I've said to people. You may be right. I just don't know what order the, the reasons are. It may, that may be reason one. It may be reason 25. You know, you've got to give me, you got to put them in some kind of order for me to be able to, to correctly assess the impact of them. You know what I mean? So let me, let me get you out on this, Alex, because I, 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 I don't want to keep you all afternoon. You've got stuff to do. You've got, it's one week to go to the election. I'm sure you've got other things going on in your life right now. Um, and I promised Alex I would not have him or ask him anything that would get him fined. So, <laughs> so I don't think this will get you fined. But let me just ask you this. I mean, as you guys, I'm sure, have done a fairly exhaustive deep dive and, and self-reflection forensic look at exactly what the hell happened with your basketball team down in Orlando. Um, what? Give me the bullet points. Give me the elevator pitch for – Okay, here's why this didn't turn out the way we thought, and and this is generally what we think we can do to fix it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because like you don't want to make excuses for what happened, right? Like we, you know, we we lost, and I thought we, you know, there were that you know the series against the Heat very easily could have been, um, you know, we could have been up three one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just didn't execute in the way that we normally do. Um, and had, uh, I think all season and you got to give a lot of credit to the heat. You know, they made every team, um, I think uncomfortable and, and their ability to execute, um, was, uh, was, was really impressive. Yes. Um, you know, look, I don't, I don't think you can, you know, we all say like this was an unprecedented situation. Um, and yes, while everyone faced the same, um, the same problems, other teams, I think, you know, some teams dealt with it in different ways. And I think, you know, when, when you look at, you know, kind of us getting down there and then in the middle of the playoffs, you know, you've got, you know, kind of like Wisconsin being, you know, rattled by, you know, a, yeah. a shooting in its backyard, um, and the emotional toll I think that took. Um, and I, I think it was just, it, it was hard for us to, I think get that chemistry and that rhythm that we're so used to. Um, and that was something that I think we had all season, um, and, you know, being off for four months and then, you know, coming back, uh, it was tough, you know, with that being said, um, there were, I think a lot of things that, um, 
you know, the, the coaches and players probably would have you know done differently. And I think what, um, you know, what, what we've been doing this off season is trying to figure out, okay, how can we, you know, we, we still, you know, we have the number one team for a reason though. Yeah. Um, and so what you don't want to do is overreact too much to an unprecedented situation. Right. Um, but I think what we are looking at is, okay, how can we still, um, make this team better? Um, and how can we add pieces that, um, uh, you know, through the draft, free agency and trades that, that are going to, you know, add playmaking and increase shooting and toughness. Um, you know, those, those are all probably, you know, a lot of very vague things uh, <laughs> that, that I'm saying, but you can go specific as you, you like. Know, at, at, you at you the, can at, tell us which stars you're going to trade exactly. for next week. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, um, you know, look, I, I, I think there, you know, I think everyone, um, you know, everyone watched the games and everything. And, yeah. you know, there are, I think, you know, a lot of things that, that we need to, you know, there are things that we need to improve on and, um, and change and, you know, but also can't, you know, look past the fact that, you know, Giannis got hurt. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, when you lose, when you lose the the two-time MVP and defensive player of the year, that, that's going to be a tough thing to, to come back from. Yeah. Well, I've asked a bunch of people this, if, if, if it's, if you can take anything, can you extrapolate anything from Orlando or was it just such a unique set of circumstances that it almost has to be viewed as a one-off? No, I think you can definitely extrapolate things from it. Um, But as I said, I don't think you can overreact. You don't want to overreact to it. And I think, look, a lot of teams are going to have to, and this is going to be a problem for, I think every team, right? Like every team's going to have to, you know, make decisions and, and try to figure out, okay, what was it that, you know, what can we take away from the bubble that, you know, is, is something that when we get back to, you know, semi-normal basketball and then maybe even normal basketball, uh, that is, that is going to be the same. And, you know, what was just unique to the bubble? I think it'll be fascinating to watch over the next few years to see, you know, kind of what lessons different people take from what happened in the bubble. And like, look, this was an unprecedented situation. It was a wild experience. Um, And, you know, credit to the guys for sacrificing all that they did. Well, Alex, man, I I, I genuinely appreciate the time. Um, I know how precious time is uh, in this last week before election day uh, for all of us. Um, and so I appreciate you spending time with us. Um, and I, I hope everything turns out the way you want next week. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. If I could just say one thing to anyone who um, hasn't made a plan to vote yet or yes. is thinking about making a plan to vote, uh, just go to IWillVote.com, um, find your state. Uh, yeah. Make sure you're registered. Uh, make sure you get out to vote. Um, this is the most important election of our lifetime. So make sure you have your voice heard. Absolutely. And if you, you know, as I always say, if you if you don't vote, then you have no say in what happens in the next four years. You don't. You don't get to say mm-hmm. anything because you had a chance to do something about it. And if you say, for whatever reason, I'm not voting, then shut up. You don't belong in the conversation. You have, you don't have the right to speak in this conversation. Um, <laughs> and so that's why, you know, people died so that we could vote. All of us could vote. So you need to pay those people back by voting. Uh, have a plan, have a backup plan, take a friend and find, find friends who aren't normal voters and ask them to vote. See if they'll go vote with you. Um, I couldn't agree with you more, Alex. Thank you, man. Good luck um, going forward. And um, Beck, as always, my brother, I appreciate you, man. Um, 
Godspeed to you and your family and, and continued success, um, whatever the next thing brings. And I'm sure it's going to be very exciting. I've, I've read some of your tweets. We can't wait to see what what uh, what comes up next, man. I, I can't wait to see what it is either, Frank. So, but, <laughs> um, but thank you, thank you for all the uh, the kind words, Dave. Thank you for uh, bringing me in and allowing me to to, uh, to co host. This was fun. This was a blast. And Alex, thanks uh, for spending the time with us. This was great. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, everybody. No show next week. Go vote. See you. Go vote. Welcome to who? Comma is adjacent. Beck, I didn't know if you had something you wanted to promo. Spot. No, the only thing I've been promoing, I guess I could have squeezed it in, was the HowardBeck.com. Welcome to Who Comma is Jason. The HowardBeck.com. 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 So the athletic ran uh, on the very survey we talked about. It included a quote from an agent who essentially said the NBA was crazy for allowing the players to handle their, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and their protests and uh, and blame the, uh, the tanking ratings on that. This is a total 180 in terms of branding and the yeah. way the NBA has presented itself. And a lot of people are just disconcerted by it. We used an analogy today on OutKick. The way proclamations work in this country, the minute you say them anywhere, you're going to use this as a headline. Cuban says this, this, this. What's wrong with that headline? Cuban condemns And man, I'm just, I'm just very tired of it. Um, it's, it's, it's getting to the point where. I tend to let people have their opinions, Mo. Like, go ahead, fire it off. It's all good. It's all just opinions. But at some point, somebody's got to be held accountable. And this rehashed talking point that somehow the player's stance on race relations is a problem just needs to be addressed. You know, so you have an agent blaming the league for falling for it like they were duped by some kind of stunt. And in the same breath saying the players aren't smart enough to even know what they're doing. So listen, the problem that I have is, look, let's assume that this argument is right. I don't believe it is. There are, there are other studies that say it's not. But let's just give you that. Let's grant you that the protests and the conversation about race and how black people are treated and the overt activism is a problem for the league because it rubs fans the wrong way. Let's grant that. My issue, right, is... How come nobody who uh, who agrees with this point is even asking, why is this such a turnoff to fans? Is any of them going to ever have the courage to bring up what might be actually the root cause of the problem? Instead, they're saying, hey, man, don't rub the fans the wrong way. How about ask the fans why they're being rubbed the wrong way? So look, since you ain't going to say it, I will say it. If you are turned off because players care and are speaking out about race, you're the problem. If you can't compartmentalize the game and the noise surrounding it, you're the problem. If you're using sports as some kind of like total recall experience where the entire production has to be about you and cater to every sensibility of you, you're the problem. If you still, still can't differentiate between the concept of Black Lives Matter and the organization Black Lives Matter, you're the problem. You're the problem. If your response is to complain about people who are hurting, people who are feeling compelled to be a voice, people who actually back up their speeches with action and are doing things and have a history of doing so, you're the problem. 
And I'm not even saying this thing they do is perfect, right? I'm not even saying how they address it is the most ideal. Believe it or not, there are some black people who think it's a bit over the top, a little bit corny sometimes, yes. But you know what we understand? That it's not out of thin air that they're bringing this up. It's not based on nothing. And the reason that they're doing this is far greater than the inconvenience it might cause. It is ridiculous to constantly pander to this possibly straw man audience that somehow can't tolerate anytime black people have dialogue or issues to address. That bla- anytime a black athlete does anything besides play, somehow they're offended. I don't even know if this audience actually exists. I don't know, but I know if you think this now, you have some forefathers you're connected with. Right, Because the same audience was saying the league was too black in Bill Russell's day. The same audience was saying the league was too playground and flamboyant in Dr. J's day. The same audience was saying the league was full of too many druggies in Magic's day. The same audience was saying there was too much style over substance in Jordan's day. The same audience was saying there was too hip-hop in Iverson's day. And now LeBron's day is too political. political. You are the problem. They literally airbrushed the tattoos off of Iverson because of this stuff. We still doing this? We're still doing this. We're still pandering to a crowd that literally has a problem with black athletes existing. Like, it's not like we haven't been through this before. Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, like name them, Althea Gibson. And it's not even just black athletes across the globe use sports to champion movements. It's not, it's not, it's not a black American thing. This is an athlete thing. And all of a sudden, it's a problem again. Well, the white people have been taking us for rides for the past 400 years in America. Well, they can take for So whoever you are, agent, who ain't got the heart to put your name on it, you're the problem. You're the problem.